Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. As Michelle just stated, we are beginning a brand new series today, and uh, man, I'm excited about it. I can't think of a greater, more timely or appropriate theme that we're going to be talking about starting today uh, in light of the fact that we're in 21 days of prayer, and also we are getting ready. Students, whether you like it or not, your first full week of school is starting tomorrow morning, so wow, that went over like a lead balloon just like I thought it would. Nobody's excited about school. Anybody excited about school? Are the parents excited about school? Man alive. School is back. That means schedules and routines and, and new things that are happening in our lives. But hey, this is going to be an exciting fall season of ministry uh, at Rethink Life and uh, so much going on. And uh, life groups getting ready to happen. And I mentioned last weekend, um, as we put an, really just a, a spotlight on our student ministry. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but if you were here last week, man, my heart was so blessed and challenged and inspired by our students, the next generation, what we're calling generation now, that God is using. And uh, we mentioned last week. Um, as we heard from them and ways that we can kind of stand and, and support them and, and help them. And, and that, of course, is raising up people who have a heart for the next generation who want to be a part of that process. We're kicking, uh, or I should say relaunching, if you will, our student cafe that's going to be happening. Um, and, and for those of you who don't know, uh, that simply means our middle school and our high school students are going to be gathering again. Uh, starting on the 27th of this month, and uh, we're going to be in a new location, and so we're going to be actually uh, meeting just behind where I'm st uh, uh, standing uh, over here in a special room that um, has been um, reserved for us, and uh, I mentioned last week a book, and it's the relaunch of a book, a revised expanded edition called Why Your Kids Do What They Do, Responding to the Driving Forces Behind your teen's behavior. And I just want to say, if you have a preteen or teen, I really want to encourage you to cop get a copy of this book. And last week we had the workbooks, but <laughs> no one could find them, so we have them back. So they are also available. It's a great tool if you want to get together with a group of parents and maybe form a life group and work through this together. We just finished the master class as well that has kind of a kickstart for conversations for a small group gathering. And all of the proceeds, 100% of them, are going to help go towards the expenses of the uh, fees that are involved with the school on underwriting the cost for our student cafe. So let's go buy them, buy them up so we can help underwrite some of those expenses for our students. Because we want to provide a place where they can go together and receive help and hope and encouragement and support from one another. Well, I don't know about you, but um, I... And I didn't wear it today, but I love my Apple Watch. How many of you have an Apple Watch? Just out of, out of curiosity, you have an Apple Watch. And I know for those of you that are Android people, you're anti-Apple everything. But anyway, for all of the Apple people, um, in fact, my son-in-law actually gave me his Generation 1 Apple Watch. And I still wear it, and I use it to run 
and so I can track everything. But what's interesting is that on the on the Apple Watch, um, it's it's a it's a pretty cool setting because there is a notification that basically, if you have it set on your phone to receive these these notifications, whether it's in the form of a ding or in my case, it's a little vibration where it kind of gets your attention. And what pops up on the screen are these words. It says, time to stand. And basically what it's doing is it's notifying you that you've been sitting for too long. And so therefore, the reason why the activity app there on the Apple Watch uh, has this time to stand little notification that it pushes out to you is because it's trying to help you avoid what is referred to as the sedentary uh, lifestyle. You say, well, what is that? That simply means we as Americans are notorious, and I would be safe to say people all over the world are now notorious for sitting for an excessive amount of time. In fact, research shows that the average person sits anywhere from four and a half to six and a half hours per day. And that simply means we're sitting in front of a computer screen or we're sitting just chilling, just scrolling, you know, on an iPhone or Android or whatever, looking at social media. But four and a half to six and a half hours per day is spent sitting, watching something. And what's interesting is that 25% of Americans, according to recent studies and research, are now considered to be physically inactive. And so therefore, if we're sitting for prolonged periods of time and we are physically inactive, what does that mean? What does it ultimately lead to? It leads to what? Poor health, right? Poor health. Well, I thought to myself, man alive, if it leads to poor health physically, then what does that mean to our lives spiritually? What happens if we're sitting too long? What happens if for whatever reason we are not taking care of ourselves spiritually? What happens if we are diverted in terms of our time, our devotion, our attention to other things that is causing us to grow spiritually in a sense of poor health? In other words, where we are not where we could be or should be in our spiritual lives. And I think, with all of my heart, one of the most important things that we can do is to stand. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to take today's message and this entire series that we're doing for the rest of the month as your notification, okay? This is your notification to remind you that it is time to stand. You say, what are we standing for? Let me tell you the reason why it is time to stand. Because we are in a war. I'm telling you, we are in an all-out war, and it is a war for our worship. That's what it is. It is a war for our worship. And the purpose of this series is to help us win the battle, to win the war for our worship. So I need everybody to stand up. It's time to stand. Come on. Y'all been sitting too long. This is your little notification. All right. Now here's what I need you to do. I need you to turn to three people. Turn to three people and say, it's time to stand. All right. Y'all can sit back down. This is the most exercise some of y'all had all week. Been sitting too long. So we're going to do our spiritual aerobics today. 
because it is time to stand. It is time to win the war for our worship. You know, it's interesting. I was reading the other day in the book of First Chronicles, and um, there's this transition season and period that takes place with King David. And many of you may know that King David was the one who had the dream, the vision for building the temple one day for the Lord. And, and so he gathered, he organized, you know, the people and the resources and the materials and everything that it required to help build the temple. But up until this time, there was something known as the tabernacle. And it was that, that was that portable church, if you will, that met in a tent, the gathering of the God's people that would come together. And, and it was the place where God resided there in the tabernacle. And, and people would go and they would, they would worship. But here's the thing, in this season of transition, now King David was getting ready to basically put the baton, if you will, in the hand of his son Solomon, who would ultimately build the temple for the Lord but here's what's interesting is that during the season in 1 Chronicles 23, verses 30, it talked about the priests and it talked about the Levites. And the priests were the ones who would offer the, the sacrifices and the burnt offerings unto the Lord. But the priests had Levites who were basically their, their assistants there in the tabernacle and ultimately there in, in the temple and so here's what the scripture says that the Levites did every single day. In 1 Chronicles 23, verses 30 and 32, it says it this way. And each morning and evening, they stood before the Lord to sing songs of thanks and praise to Him. You know, on your phone, most of you, if you have a lock on your phone, and you just tap the window, what does it do? It shows the, the little lock screen on your phone, right? On your screen. And then if, and like in my case, I have a little password, a little passcode, a little four-digit code that I have to tap in order to, to really open up, if you will, my phone. Well, do you know what the password is into the presence of God? You ready for this? It's gratitude. It's gratitude. That is the key. That's the code. That is the secret to the presence of God, is the coming before Him with gratitude, thanksgiving in our hearts. And so that keeps on going there. And so under the supervision of the priests and the Levites, as the, the Levites watched over the tabernacle and the temple and faithfully carried out their duties of service at the house of the Lord. I love that. Every morning and every evening, the Levites stood before the Lord to give praises and thanksgiving for who He is and all that He means. And I believe with all of my heart that God wants us to do the same. Now, I want to ask you a question today, and the question is this. What is the one thing that God desires that only you can give? And the answer to that is our worship. That is the one thing that God desires more than anything else. And it's the one thing that only you can give. And it's our worship. And I think for many of us, we have a misunderstanding of what worship is all about. And that's why we're doing this series. We're going to unpack it. Why is it so important? Well, there are 
a lot of reasons why worship is important. But there are two specific things that we're going to talk about for a few moments. And the first is this. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to, to jot these things down. Or if you have our, our app, you can just follow along. The notes are there in the app. But the first is this. There is a war for our worship. There is a war for our worship. And it's interesting because Jesus even gave the people the warning. In John chapter 4, verse 24, he said, There is coming a day when God will be looking for true worshipers, those with sincere hearts who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, let me just share something with you. That coming day is already here. And what we got to realize is that God, now more than ever, He wants us to worship Him as true worshipers with sincere hearts in spirit and in truth. So today, here's the thing we need to realize. We are in a war for our worship. And the reason why is because everywhere we look, everywhere we turn, whether it's through social media or the media itself or just in the places that we see, the places that we go and the people who we're around and the things that we're exposed to, at the end of the day, we are fighting a battle. And it is a battle between good and it's a battle between evil. It is a battle between truth and it's a battle between lies. And the enemy wants nothing more than to win ultimately that battle. And the reason why is because he wants to win the war for your worship. And so you may say, well, when did all this start? I mean, is this kind of like a post-COVID thing? <laughs> I mean, it's... Is this kind of like just all accelerated since COVID with all the craziness that's happened, it seems like, in the last couple of years? No, 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 no. The war for our worship began literally since the beginning of time. And what's interesting is that in Isaiah chapter 14, there are some things that we need to understand just how this war began. And the war began, ultimately, in heaven. You say, really? How, how, how did that occur? Well, let me tell you how it occurred. Because most scholars believe that there was an angel, according to the scripture, by the name of Lucifer. Lucifer had a job. And he was appointed to be the worship leader in all of heaven. And one of his tasks as a worship leader was to lead, if you will, to orchestrate worship with all of the other angels in heaven to give praise and to give glory and to worship God, our creator. And somewhere, somehow, in fact, scripture even says that Lucifer was the most beautiful of all angelic beings. But through it all, somehow, Darkness began to creep into the heart of Lucifer, known as Satan. And so much so that he began to desire what God wants from all of us. And that is our fixed attention, our devotion, our worship upon him for who he is. Satan began to become jealous. Satan began to desire and that growing desire became evident where pride began to fill his heart. And so therefore, God ultimately, the scripture says, kicked 
the devil kicked Lucifer out of heaven. And literally one-third of all of the angels whose hearts had been influenced and became darkened just like Lucifer. And what's interesting is that the scripture says in First Chronicles, excuse me, I'm sorry, in, in Isaiah 14, verses 13 through 14, here's what Lucifer said. For you said to yourself, I will, he said, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of God. God's far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. See, what creeped into his heart was the sense of pride. I will. I will. I will. He wanted to usurp, if you will, who God was and his authority, the glory that he deserved, and Lucifer wanted that for himself. And as a result, what does the scripture say in Proverbs? Pride comes before what? A fall. And so, still to this day, we see it played out. We see it unfold. Where many people whose hearts become prideful, we become arrogant. We say, oh, I don't need God in my life. Hey, I've got success. i got money. Hey, I, I can call my own shots. I can live life the way I want to live. Hey, I don't need God. What is that? basically saying is that, hey, I will do what I want to do. I will live the way I want to live. I am my own God. And so the war for our worship began since the beginning of time. And what we need to realize is that still to this day, we have, an, we have, an, we have a war on our hands. We have an enemy. And I'm just curious, if you were the enemy... And you were to devise a plan, a strategy to wipe out all of mankind to win this war for worship so that people will ultimately worship the devil more so than God. How would you play that strategy out? Well, you know what the enemy, our devil, our adversary has come up with in the form of a mission statement? Jesus gave it to us. In, in John 10.10, 10, he said what? He said, the thief, the devil, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I'd be safe to say he's doing a pretty good job. Not that I want to give him any credit, but at the end of the day, it seems from the outside looking in that the devil is winning the battle. He's winning the war. How you, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, the Bible says that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. What has he come to steal? He's come to rob you of everything, every good thing that God has given to you through Jesus Christ. The Bible says he's not only come to steal, but he's also come to kill. You say, what do you mean? He has come to kill the potential inside of every person. God has given you everything, your gifts, your abilities, your talents. Listen, he's given you everything you could possibly imagine. And not only does the enemy want to take that from you, but he wants to ultimately destroy it. So he wants to kill the potential that God has placed inside of you. And, it's, and it, the scripture says that he may destroy. So he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your hopes. He wants to destroy your dreams. He wants to destroy your future. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy everything about you. Why? Because he has one agenda, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and live it to the full. That's the last thing the enemy wants. 
So therefore, he's come up with a plan. He's come up with a strategy in order for us to be diverted away from living out the plan that Jesus has and the purpose that Jesus has for our lives. So today, what we need to understand is that we have a real adversary, a real devil, and he wants nothing more than to win the war for our worship. Now one of the things that the enemy does, and I think this is where a lot of us don't realize how much maybe we lose in this situation or how much we may be losing ground in this situation. But what we need to realize is that the devil, the enemy, he is the father of lies, the scripture says. And not only is he the father of lies, but he is a master deceiver. The Bible says he appears as an angel of light. So he can make bad look good. He can take truth and he can turn it into a lie. And if we're not careful, we can take the bait. We can, we can fall for the lies. We can walk into and fall into deceitfulness. And before we know it, he can trap us. Again, his agenda is what? Is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his strategy. And if that's his strategy, then he wants to divert our attention away from God and onto ourselves. You know how he does it? Again, he's very subtle. Years ago, when our kids were younger, we went on a little getaway for a spring break. And uh, I'll never forget, we went to a place um, in South Carolina, right there on the beach, Myrtle Beach. And um, when we were there, we had set out a blanket there on the beach. And there was just, I mean, like tons of seagulls everywhere. And so we had set a little blanket out. And we had noticed that as people were out, you know, around us on their blankets, people were like feeding the seagulls. So we had the idea that we would do what they were doing. And so we, we were fascinated. We kind of got like intrigued by how these seagulls were just coming in from everywhere. And they would get close and close. And so I was eating some cheese nips. How many of you like cheese nips? Going to have cheese nips in heaven one day, I think. They're amazing. Especially with a cold Coke cheese nip. Anyway, so we were eating cheese nips and... I had the idea of like flicking, flicking these little cheese nips out there to kind of lure some seagulls in. And sure enough, man, we would toss them up in the air and they'd swoop down, they'd catch them. We'd throw them out and man, they would swoop down and they would land and they would, they would grab them. And, and then we noticed as we started getting them closer and closer into our, and closer to our blanket, man, those little seagulls, they just kept getting closer. The kids were freaking out, but yet at the same time, it was kind of cool. And as the Seagulls get close, almost to the edge of our blanket. Lo and behold, you know what I saw? I saw one of the seagulls, kid you not, that had a piece of fishing wire, string, fishing string, and a hook lodged in its beak. And I thought to myself, wow, man, what a picture of so many people, even Christians, who have taken the bait of Satan, who literally 
have been lured into a subtle strategy where the, where the devil just kind of like throws out a little temptation, throws out a little distraction, throws out a little diversion. And what is his strategy? He's come to appeal to your senses. How does he do that? The Bible says that, that he appeals to the lust of the, of the eyes. So he's going to put that little shiny, little dangling carrot in front of you. He's going to put that little shiny object of pleasure or whatever materialism or whatever success or whatever temptation or whatever it is that gets your attention. He wants to appeal to your sight. And not only that, the Bible says he wants to appeal to the lust of your flesh. So he appeals to the lust of the eyes, and then it's the appeal to the lust of the flesh. In other words, whatever is tempting us, whatever we desire, whatever we crave, whatever it is that we want, we take. And then it says that he also appeals to the, the senses of our pride of life. In other words, once we get success, once we get what we want, once we have what it is that we desire... Then what happens that we develop the sense of pride once again that, hey, I've arrived, I've obtained all of these things. And as a result, I don't need God anymore. And that's exactly what happens with so many people. And the sad thing is, is that sometimes it's not even through those type of things, but sometimes it's even just through the activities and the busyness of life that he gets us distracted. And once again, we take the bait of Satan. You know what I believe the most, probably the most vulnerable trap that all of us fall into when it comes to this war for our worship is the trap of busyness. And you know what busy stands for? It stands for being under Satan's yoke. And anytime you find yourself too busy <laughs> to worship, too busy to show up at church. Too busy to read your Bible. Too busy to pray. Hey, too busy to share your faith. Too busy to do anything to serve others. Too busy to make a difference or an impact. Listen, anytime we get too busy for God, you know what? The devil has won. Because he is on an all-out assault to win the war for your worship. And that's the reason why it's so important that we realize just how subtle and just how important Satan's lies and Satan's strategies are in our lives. But here's what God wants to remind us of. The scripture says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, and here's the thing. When you think about the Ten Commandments that Moses gave to the people of Israel and that are still applicable to our lives today, here's my question to you. What is the number one commandment on the list? Why did God put this particular commandment on the top of the list? And here's what it says. And you, God says, and you, all of us, you must not have any other God before me. You must not make for yourself any idol or any kind of any kind or image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea, you must not bow down to them or worship them. Why? For I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other God. So here's my question to you. 
what is it that you value most in your life? Now think about that for a moment. What is it that you value most in your life? And the reason why that question is so important is because whatever you value most in your life is ultimately what you worship. And for some of us, that could be a myriad of different things. And to be honest with you, for a lot of us, whether we realize or not, we are all worshiping something. We may not see it as worship, but anything that we put before God, anything that gets our attention, anything that we value or we prioritize over our relationship with God becomes an idol in our lives. Why? Because that thing, whatever that is, is ultimately taking precedence in our lives before God. And God wants our worship. He wants our devotion. He wants more than anything our complete attention upon Him. So what is worship? Worship is giving my heart, my attention, my priority to something or someone above him he wants our worship and he wants our heart and he wants our priority so the question is what is it that we worship for some of us maybe maybe you're at a place in your life if you're a parent you worship your kids how do we worship our kids everything revolves around our kids all of the activities all of the extracurriculars all of the things they want, all the things they need, all the attention they crave, all the things they want to do, all the places they want to go, all the things that you never had that you want your kids to have, all the hopes and de desires and dreams and aspirations that you want for your kids, you become a slave to as a parent because you want your kids to have all the things that you never had growing up as a kid. And some of us say, isn't that a little over the top? That's just what happens all over the country with a lot of parents whose world revolves around their kids. God didn't call us to revolve our world around our kids. He wants us to worship Him. And He wants us to model that for our children. He wants us as parents to show our kids that we are giving Him our fixed attention giving him our everything, we are putting him first in every area of our lives. And some of us, you know what, we worship for others. We worship our career. Man, we're trying to be one up on somebody else. We're going here, we're going there. We're trying to, we're trying to, to obtain all of these things. For others of us, you know what, we, we worship pleasure. Man, all the activities and the hobbies, and man, we got it all. And we love our hobbies because we love our pleasure. You know, for a lot of us, man, we, I mean, we're getting ready to crank up football season. I mean, there is nothing greater than just chilling, chilling and just watching Sports Center. I mean, Sports Center every, did y'all get that? Sports Center. Anyway, but some of us, we, 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 we love our football. We love our sports. Again, we love the activities. For some of us, it is social me. Dia. You know, we just, we, how many likes did I get today? Oh, just see so-and-so commented on my last post. It's all about me, 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 me. Social media. 
So at the end of the day, what are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? Why are we worshiping it? Why does it even matter? Because at the end of the day, there is an all-out war for our worship. And it, we are either going to win the fight or we're going to lose the fight. And I'm telling you, it is time to stand and win the war for our worship. So today, and let me just say, hey, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Not, none of the, nothing wrong with having activities for our kids and getting them involved in different things. Nothing wrong with having nice things and doing nice things and going to nice places. and Nothing wrong with any of those things at all. None of it. But at the end of the day, we just can't allow all of those things to take precedence before God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all that other stuff. It'll fall into place. But put him first. Put him first. So, we're in a war for our worship. The second thing, and I want to close with this. You were created to worship. Now, the reason why we worship <laughs> all these things is because that's something God placed in our hearts. When he made us, he made us, he wired within us. We have a hard wiring, if you will, for worship. So it's time to stand. You've been sitting too long. Stand up to your feet. Turn to three people real quick. Turn to three people and say, get your worship on. Come on. All right, y'all can be seated. All right. I got to start landing the plane. In other words, hey, there's a storm brewing. And I got to circle the airport until they give me clearance to land. And they already give me clearance to land. So I'm getting ready to land the plane. So listen carefully. What we got to realize is that God put within us this innate ability to worship. To worship. And the thing that we got to realize is that we were made by God. And we were made for God. And there is absolutely nothing that God desires more from you and from me than our worship. And the reason for that is because God made you so that he could know you. God made you so he could not only know you, so that he could love you. And you know what God desires more than anything in all the world? Is for you to know him and to love him back. And you know what that's called? Worship. That's it. It is to know God and to love him back. Just the same way that he longs to know us and to extend and to express and to show his love toward us. So here's a question. Who is God to you? And what has God done for you? That's a huge question. And I want every day for you to be thinking about this this week. Who is God to me? And what has he done for my life? What has he done in my life? And let me ask you another question. 
why do we come here and gather at Lake Nona High School on Sunday mornings in a gathering like this and call it church? Why, why do we do that? <laughs> we could be at the beach chilling. We could be playing golf. We could be picking weeds in our flower bed. We could be home just taking a nap, right? We could, be, we could be doing a lot of things. But why do we come here on Sundays? Why do we come here as a gathering of people to church? I, I need to answer this question because this is a huge question. I'm convinced that a lot of people, a lot of people, I'd be, I'll even go out on a limb and say most Christians don't even know why they go to church. Can I tell you what I believe? Let me, let, let, let me just kind of give you, maybe help, this will help you. How many of you have ever been to a play? Been to a, maybe here at Lake Nona High School, you got the stage, you got the seats. So you understand, you've been there, you've seen how it works. So therefore, you're the audience, right? You're the audience. And because you're the audience, you are here to observe, right? But the stage usually has people on the stage. And Maybe it's a person on the stage. Maybe in my case today, I'm the preacher, right? So therefore, the people on the stage, whether it's a play, drama, whatever it is. So you have the performers on the stage and the people here on the stage are performing for the audience that is there to receive everything that the people on the stage is presenting to the audience, right? So again, you're the audience, the people on the stage, they're the performers. How many of you, you say, yeah, that, I, I get it, it's pretty obvious, we're in a performing arts center, it's what this is made for, you got a, you got a seating capacity here, filled with seats, and so how many of you agree with that? Okay, a few of you, all right. I think what happens is a lot of people have this mindset that I go to church and I am the audience and the worship team, the band, the people, the preacher, they are the performers. And one of the reasons why there are so many what I call church hoppers and shoppers is because people get tired of one performance and they go to another place to kind of check out a new performance. And once they get a little tired of that performance, then they go to another place to check out their performance because they got something cool over there. And people just go from this place to that place and they just kind of rate, you know, I'll give that one five stars and, you know, I'll give a good Google review on those people and how they perform over there. And so, again, you're the audience, the people on the stage, they are the performers. The preacher is the performer, right? Well, we're going to go Taylor Swift. We're going to shake it off. Shake, shake it off. You haven't heard that song? All right, I just lost my man card. But anyway, we're going to shake off that mindset and that mentality because that has nothing to do with worship. What you've got to understand is that the reason why we come together here at Lake Nona High School is for one reason and one reason only. 
I am not the performer. You are not the audience. You are the worshipers. I am the worshiper. And we are here to worship an audience of one person. And his name is Jesus. He is the King of Kings. And he is the Lord of Lords. And I'm telling you, it is so vitally important that we understand, that we shake off the old mindset and mentality. That listen, when we do that, it changes the way we see and understand how we worship. Because, listen, it is all for Jesus. It is about Jesus. Everything we do is an expression to express our love, our devotion, and our adoration for who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That's why in Romans 12, verse 1, if you want to know what worship is all about, here's what Paul said. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, you want to ask the question, what has God done for me? In view of God's mercy, he died on a cross for your sin and for my sin. For the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future, he died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to suffer the pain and the consequences and the ultimate price and penalty for sin, which is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And he placed himself, he went into a tomb and literally came up out of the grave to conquer death, hell, and the grave. So that we could be fully alive. So that our sin could be forgiven. So that we could have renewed hope and a new life and a new purpose. To have a new destiny for a place called heaven. An eternal home that awaits us. That Jesus is now preparing for us. In view of God's mercy, we offer, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. In Eugene Peterson's message, it says it this way. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work and walking around. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. So what is worship all about? Worship is my response to God's love. It is my response. It's how I react. It is how I live. It is my response. I am placing my life on the altar and I'm offering it as a sacrifice of praise to Him. In view of His mercy. In light of who He is. In light of what He has done. I'm surrendering my all to him. And what is worship? It's my response to God's love and it's giving back to God. What do we give to God who has everything? What do we give to God who is the creator and maker of all things? What do we give him? Listen to me. We give him our heart. We give him, our, we give him our full devotion. We give him our life. We give him everything. And you know what? How do we do that? How do we give him our all? 
Well, this guy came to Jesus and asked him that question. And said, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. In other words, when we love God back, he wants us to worship him with our minds. In other words, give thought to how we worship. He wants us to worship him passionately with all of our heart, all of our soul, everything we have, all that we are, and to worship him practically. Give him our strength in all that we do. God wants us more than anything to know him and to love him back because that's his desire is to know you and to love you and so therefore why would we not worship and what we need to realize is that when we give back to God one of the ways that we give back to him the expression of that is through all of the things that we do to bring glory to him. So you need to understand, just like Jesus said, hey, when you've done it to the, to the least of one of these, you've done it unto me. Colossians 3 says, and whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all as though you are not working for men, but for God. So today, you need to realize that when you pulled into the parking lot, you came in as a worshiper. The people out in the parking lot with the yellow shirts, the parking team, they're worshiping God as a parking team. The people in the Life Kids right now, they are worshiping God by giving of their time and their talents to sow into the next generation. They're not babysitting so you can be in here to enjoy the performance. They are worshiping God by sowing the hope of Jesus to the next generation. Listen, the reason why we have a clap video that 95% conservatively speaking of you missed today is so that it sets the atmosphere so that when we enter into the Lake Nona High School Performing Arts Center, we enter into his courts with praise and we come into his house, a house of worship, and we come with the password of thanksgiving into the presence of God, saying, God, thank you. In view of God's mercies, we've come as worshipers to worship an audience of one, King Jesus, and that is how we win the war for our worship. So ladies and gentlemen, it's time to shake off the old mindset. Man, listen to some Taylor Swift today. Shake, shake it off. Shake, shake it off. Get off of the old way of thinking about worship. This is not the performance. You are not the audience. You are the worshiper. And we are here to worship King Jesus. And it's time to stand so we can win the war for our worship. Come on, somebody. Let's all stand.
Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we stand before you in your presence today. We worship you. We adore you. God, forgive us. God, forgive us for chasing after the stuff of this world. God, forgive us for taking the bait of Satan. God, forgive us for allowing our eyes to drift to the lust of the, the eyes, to the things of this world. God, forgive us for craving through the lust of the flesh all the stuff that our culture God, that is so twisted and perverted and so sick. God, that we, for whatever reason, seem to want. That's so empty and hollow and shameful. And yet, God, it appeals to the flesh of so many. Because of the pride and the arrogance and the self-centeredness and the selfish ways and the selfish desires that I have, that everybody in this room has, that everybody on planet Earth has, God, because we want nothing more than to satisfy what pleases us. And God, I pray that today, God, we'd shift our perspective away from just showing up, coming in nonchalantly with an attitude of, I wonder what they got today, I wonder what he's going to speak on today, I wonder how long the service is going to be today. what they're going to ask us to do today. God, in view of your mercies, God, today, forgive us. And more than anything, we want to offer ourselves. Lord, today we bring the sacrifices of praise. We enter into your courts with thanksgiving. Lord, we come and we say thank you. Thank you that you are the initiator and we are the responders. We're here to worship you in spirit and in truth. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you that it pierces the hearts of us. Lord, it corrects us when we get off track. It shows us the way so we can get back on track. And so, Father, I pray that today that we'll make some adjustments. We'll reorganize some things in our 
schedules to put you first. And Lord, everything we do, everything we do, may we do as an act of worship. As we take our kids to soccer practice, may we worship you with songs of praise in the car. As we take our kids to school, may we put your word into their hearts and into their minds on the way to school. Lord, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., I pray that we'll take just a few minutes to prioritize our time with you. Father, I pray as we go to work tomorrow. Lord, whether we work from home or go into the office, Lord, I pray that we would not do our work to please people, but we will work as a way of worshiping you, King Jesus, as an audience of one. Father, I pray that you would visit among us, that your presence and your power, Lord, would be very real and very evident. Lord, that you would allow us to have some conversations about what we need to say no to and what we need to say yes to. I pray that today in Jesus' name, that Father, whatever distractions that the enemy is using to get us busy, it's taking our priority and our focus and our fixed attention away from you. Lord, we would say no to those things so that we can say yes to you, Jesus. And Father, if there are those in here in this place who have never put their faith in Jesus, they don't know you as Lord. I just want to invite those of you here today. Again, you were made so that God can know you. He could have a relationship with you. And there's nothing more he desires than for you to know him and to love him back. In light of his mercies, in light of what he's done for you and for me, through the cross and paying the ultimate price for your sin, if you don't know where you stand with the Lord today, would you make him the Lord of your life? Would you pray this prayer in your heart to say, Dear God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I turn from my sin. And Jesus, today, I invite you into my life to forgive me and to save me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul today. If you prayed that prayer just then and in your heart, you meant business. Would you let me know by just raising up your hand high all over this place today? Say, count me in. Count me in. I just prayed that prayer. It's awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? It's wonderful. Thank you. God bless you. Father, we thank you for who you are, what you mean to us. And so today, we just want to say, in light of your mercies, we worship you in spirit and truth. And today, we walk out of here with an attitude of praise and worship, thanksgiving on our lips. May we worship you with all of our heart, all of our soul, our mind, and our strength. May we live a lifestyle of worship. From this day moving forward, may we stand firm so we can win the war for our worship.
for it is in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.